Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show live, give them a call. Tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com. They can click on the TV show, click on Watch the Show Live, and see it from anywhere in the world. In the house tonight, our most scholarly group, we have Mary Ellen, Eileen, Dan, Derek, Sylvia, Cade, Virginia, Todd, Brittany, Rich, Ellen, Nathan, Jed, Natalie, Stephen, Lane, Richard, Shara, Glenn, Margaret, and Catherine. We appreciate them coming out and supporting the show. It's easy to do a show with an audience like that. We're starting to get a little top-heavy on the community announcement section, so if you want to know what's going on in the state, go to www.bornagainmormon.com. Check it out. We'll have a listing of everything that's going on. The announcements are starting to take over. Uh, speaking of Born Again Mormon, you can order the book, I Was a Born Again Mormon, uh, right off our site. We get an awful lot of questions about what it means to come to the Lord through spiritual rebirth, especially as a Latter-day Saint. So we offer this book to you if you're interested in, from uh, firsthand experience. Um, again, we say to LDS and people who can't afford the book, email us and we'll give it to you free. If you can afford the book, we'd appreciate it if you'd buy it from the bookstores, including Christian Gift and Bible and Sandy, Gift of Grace Christian Supply in Springville, Utah Lighthouse Ministry over by Franklin Field here in Salt Lake, Sam Wellers in Salt Lake City, Oasis Book and Logan, and a few other national chains that are starting to pick it up. We'll let you know about those later. Spring is almost here. It means summer is closing in right behind, so grab your paper and pencil for a few announcements. Ready? We're going to have something we call War Camp, and it's an all-male two-day fishing trip getaway here in the state. It's going to be in June, Streamside, not more an hour away from Salt Lake City, and we want to get together and fellowship and learn uh, from the Word what it means to be men, Christian men, what it means to be husbands, fathers, sons, Whatever it is, all males are invited, any age, any beliefs, anyone who wants to come, go to www.bornagainmormon.com if you want information on that. Just keep checking it and it will be up. Last week, I made a mistake. I know, hard to believe, but uh, I misspoke and I said something that wasn't right. I said that Gordon B. Hinckley had a second wife. What the problem was is in the midst of the conversation, I transposed information in a letter I got where he spoke at the funeral of a general authority who had been sealed to two women before he passed away, and my mind just put them together, and I was absolutely wrong. 
A number of people kindly reminded me that I was wrong. A number of people rudely reminded me that I was wrong. But Sandra Tanner notified me of the fact and gave me a great link to an article of past LDS presidents who have, in fact, been sealed to more than one woman. Thank you, Sandra. You can go to www.utahlighthouseministry, actually www.utlm.org to read this article and many other wonderful articles that are uh, reliable. Traveling pastor in the pub coming up this April 7th, a Monday night, in American Fork at Jim's Family Restaurant. Go to the site uh, again and you can get information on that. We'll have a baptism thereafter at a hotel close by. Finally, Heart in the Park, which we've had every uh, year for the past three years. We have changed the name to Burning Heart. Burning Heart is going to take place in September of this year. Just pencil it in, but know that we're going to do that. And it's going to be more of a focus on revival, uh, coming to Jesus And we hope people will join us. So I'm just giving you a little heads up on that. How about a definition, a story, and a joke? First, a definition from Micheline. She said last week, caller John asked, who do you think you are to say that we, the LDS, are not Christian? Micheline sent me uh, some quotes from an old Webster dictionary, 1971. It said first, under Christian, of relating to or professing Christianity or based on or conforming with Christianity. And then under Christianity, the definition was the whole body of Christian believers, the religion derived from Jesus Christ based on the Bible as sacred scripture. Okay. Under Latter-day Saint, it read a member of a religious body tracing its origins to Joseph Smith in 1830 and accepting the Book of Mormon as divine revelation. So there's the definition for tonight. I think that's helpful. How about a story? Elizabeth sent this and said, A churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. Quote, I've gone for 30 years now, he wrote, and in that time I have heard something like 3,000 sermons, but for the life of me I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time and the pastors are wasting theirs by giving sermons at all. This started a real controversy, uh, this says, and the letters to the editor column, they started to grow and grow in a few weeks past, and finally a clincher was sent in that said, quote, I've been married for 30 years now. In that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals, but for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu of one single one of those meals. But I do know this, they all nourished me and gave me strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given, these, uh, given me these meals, I could be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead for sure. And finally, for a joke sent in by Celeste, a Jewish archaeologist digging through a ruin in Israel came across a copper wire buried five meters underground. This is positive proof, he proclaimed, that the ancient Hebrews had electronic communication 1,000 years ago. A Muslim archaeologist digging in the Jordan finds a copper wire buried 10 meters underground. This is positive proof, he proclaims, that the followers of Islam had electronic communication a thousand years before the Jews. A Mormon archaeologist is digging in the Hill Cumorah. He digs 5 meters and finds nothing. He digs 10 meters and finds nothing but dirt. He finally digs down 20 meters and still finds nothing whatsoever. This is positive proof, he claims, 
that the ancient Nephites had wireless communications 2,500 years ago. But up, but. All right. And with that, let's go to a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this airtime, for our audience, for people viewing at home. We pray this message will go out far and wide and people will understand the difference between being a regenerated Christian in Christ and a member of a religion. Lord, we pray this will come through. We pray for your blessings upon our staff. In Jesus' name, amen. So does it matter that the Mormons believe that God has a father who has a father who has a father? Does it matter that they believe that Jesus was a created being along with Satan and along with each of us, or that there have been and will be many gods in the future? Is it okay that they believe that we existed as, as spirit beings in the preexistence, that matter could not be created from nothing, even by God, that the fall of Adam was a good thing, or that we are born without sin and automatically are children of God? Do these teachings create a different type of person or believer within the LDS church, or are the LDS people the same or even better than Christians as a result of these beliefs? I'm inclined to think that tonight's show will bring about a lot of criticism, more than usual from the LDS, because so much of it is not going to be based on facts, um, empirical data, historical facts, or recorded doctrine, but more from my personal observations of being an active Latter-day Saint for most of my life. Admittedly, subjective analysis or interpretation is limited in scope. So I do not offer what I am saying as irrefutable, just as an interpretation of what I observed as an active Latter-day Saint. What may make the show even more offensive to the LDS more than usual is our topic, which I've titled the LDS attitude. When I say the LDS attitude, it should be more than apparent that I'm speaking generally. Not all Latter-day Saints fit this mold. But stereotypes, while irritating and often unfair because they contain generalizations, are usually based, like it or not, on some sort of observable truth. So generally speaking, a verifiable, if not a tangible and palpable, LDS attitude exists among the majority of members who are active in the Mormon faith. After years of consideration, I personally think the most prevalent attitude in Mormonism, which I think is pride, is a direct result of their view on the ontology of God, of Jesus taking a position as our elder brother, of the fable of a noble preexistence, the unreconstructability of matter, even by God, Adam's fall being positive, and the idea that all men and women are automatically born without sin and children of God. After presenting the characteristics of the LDS attitude and explaining why I think it exists as it does, I intend to use the Bible to show that such attitudes are antithetical to how God describes those who have become his children through spiritual rebirth. Before I share my views, let's take a moment and quickly compare the biblical views Christians maintain toward the subjects that I just quickly covered. As we do, ask yourself this question. It's very important. Which teachings that I'm going to share with you quickly, which teachings lead to a true 
spirit of humility and which teachings lead to men and women becoming proud in their hearts. Okay, you ready? Where Mormons say God has a father who has a father who has a father, Christians say God is the first and the last, the beginning of all things, the end of all things, the one and only God. There is none before him or after him. Where Mormons say God is subject, he has to obey certain existing laws and principles he did not even create. Christians believe God created all things, including laws and principles. Where Mormons believe God could only create the universe out of pre-existing material, Christians believe God created everything, creatio ex nihilo, out of nothing. Where Mormons believe God and his wife spiritually sire Jesus Christ and the rest of us spiritually, Christians believe Jesus is God, the Alpha and the Omega who created all things and was not himself created. Where Mormons believe human beings lived in a spiritual pre-existence where each of us achieved a certain level of righteousness, Christians believe God's breathed into Adam and initiated life here on earth, which has been propagated forth by, through the lives of all human beings. And where the LDS believe that Adam's fall was a fall upward, a good thing that he disobeyed, thereby opening a way for Adam and Eve to procreate, Christians believe that Adam and Eve could have remained obedient, could have bore children in the garden, and could have been faithful to God's will all at the same time. I propose to you that because of these respective beliefs, Christians see themselves for what the Bible says they are. Broken, fallen, sinful creatures in need of spiritual rebirth before an almighty God. And Latter-day Saints see themselves for what their doctrines proclaim them to be. God's spiritual seed who lived righteously in a pre-existence and now, by their own goodness and accomplished progression, are headed toward his desired end, Godhood. The first perspective, when truly examined, examined, leads to utter humility. The second perspective, when merely observed, leads to pride and spiritual arrogance. It was perhaps this LDS attitude that first got me wondering if Mormonism was as true as it claimed to be. I remember reading the New Testament uh, Gospels and trying to figure out why the Jesus of the New Testament was nothing like the Jesus that the Mormons portrayed to me as true. Yes, people were polite, and they taught me that Jesus was polite, and yes, people were generally kind and considerate, like the pictures of Jesus I was shown in Sunday school. And yes, I truly was taught that Jesus wants me for a sunbeam, to shine for him each day. In every way, try to please him at home and at school and at play. At an elementary level, Jesus Christ is taught in Mormonism. Yet I also recognize that in every ward and every stake, there was always this core group of LDS families that were sort of the embodiment of all things Mormon, which naturally placed everyone else in a position to either imitate them or to disdain them, mock them. It doesn't take long once you have moved into a ward to know who these, these families and people are. They're the ones who are generally placed in the most prominent leadership roles. 
They're the ones who are always asked to give the important talks at stake and ward conference, at Christmas, and at Easter. Somehow these perfects always bore the strongest testimony at meetings, which typically served to set everybody else straight when the local community or congregation was going off in a certain wrong direction. These are the defenders of the faith, the ardently committed, the stalwarts, you've heard me call them. I looked and listened to them closely, wanting to know what drove them to this level of performance. Without exception, without exception, I discovered that the center of their lives, the focal point, the locus, the median, the foundation of these stalwarts' lives was the church and their performance in it and their allegiance to it. It was never a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, sometimes. Joseph Smith, frequently. Modern prophets, quite often. The Book of Mormon, always. But never ever a regenerative relationship with Jesus Christ. I've tried to step back and study these upper echelon folks and their families within the Mormon church. They intrigue me. In general, I have found them that they have achieved the lion's share of temporal success. And the more professional the success, the more elevation, responsibility, and honor they tend to receive in their callings. Doctors, dentists, lawyers, and corporate icons are almost always chosen over tradesmen, blue-collar workers, and artists, aside from the occasional and token aberration which serve to appease the intellectual suspicions. Those who experience financial success always seem to have a place at the head of the line and were more esteemed than those with financial difficulties. And those with higher educations, if they maintained outward humility, were always put ahead of those who dropped out or had merely high school educations. This doesn't mean you couldn't climb the LDS ladder as a lowly, uneducated hayseed with financial problems. You could, but only up a rung or two. Naturally, successful family men and women would always lead over the divorced, the unmarried, and even the widowed. What drives these dedicated people, I used to ask myself as I started to question the doctrines. I, what is at the core of their motivation? Why are they so spiritually smug? I used to wonder. What is the draw that would make people who are so intelligent and accomplished buy into so much of this history that can be proven, changed, and difficult and in, and in conflict with the Bible? On November 4th of 2003, my wife and I were having a discussion with one of these high-performance Mormons who happened to be her stake president at the time. We were talking about the church programs, and he made a startling statement, which I walked out of the office and I wrote in my day notes, and I quoted him. He said, quote, the whole purpose of the church is to prepare people to become gods, end quote. For some reason, that statement kind of sealed in my mind and bridged all the gaps as to why people had a certain attitude who were LDS relative to the Christians I was then beginning to know very well. The whole purpose of the LDS church is to prepare people to become gods. This is what I am seeing being played out all around me, I thought as we drove home. People who actually believe they are going to become gods. This is what drives them.
This is what makes them embrace things that are absolutely incomprehensible. It's the pride of wanting to be a god. It's the pride of the arrogance of thinking that you too will someday rule over a universe. This keeps them in. The whole biblical idea of sinners just getting into heaven by the skin of their teeth is altogether foreign to Latter-day Saints. They actually believe they deserve it and have earned it, and this is the epitome of spiritual arrogance. Now, defenders of the faith will cite all kinds of LDS verses that warn about being proud and about being humble, and I would agree they are there. And though most LDS teachings are about being humble, it's uh, about humility are there. It's sort of like teaching a Marine that they can't enjoy killing, but they better get out there and kill. Okay? You can't act proud, but you better live proud. You better speak proud. You better present proud. Don't look like you're proud, prideful, but you better be proud in all these areas. Imagine that there is a church that teaches that God is a perfectly fit bodybuilder, okay? There's this church out there that teaches God is the ultimate bodybuilder. He has enormous muscles and is in perfect physical condition, in addition to his being humble and kind and just and all the other attributes. And let's say this religion also taught that men and women someday, if they lived right, would also become perfectly physically fit bodybuilders too, just like God. Because the end goal of becoming a muscle-bound God has been revealed to them, it would not take very long for members of this false religion to begin to adopt and present the outward characteristics of their promised future state. Soon, the more heavily muscled and physically fit people of the organization would naturally and automatically be viewed as more godlike and therefore of more value than those who have less muscle mass or less physical fitness. In the end, frail and sickly people would be greatly discounted, but they probably would be encouraged to have a hope for their future, and the fat and out of shape would be held in complete disdain. The point in parallel is those who embody the end goal most while living on this earth would naturally be held to the highest esteem and pride naturally follows. This is the same situation with Mormonism. And with this esteem of men type of system, pride easily masks itself as humility. It has to. Golda Meir once said, stop being so humble. You're not that great. Think about that. What is Christian humility? I don't know that I can define it, but like pornography, I know what it is when I see it. I do know that Christian humility would never include the arrogant teachings that Jesus is my elder brother, or that I am worthy of anything, or that God was once a man, or that I have reached a level of righteousness, or that I am going to become a God. The problem with the system and its resultant attitudes is that it's in opposition to the biblical description of the true follower of Jesus. He seeks and uses the lowly, the unlearned, the weak things of the world. Who were Jesus' apostles? Captains of industries? Lawyers? Doctors? Men of worldly accomplishment? Or did he choose lowly fishermen and tax collectors? He even chose a traitor who killed himself. 
Why did Jesus build on such a foundation of weak men? Why did the LDS build on a foundation of apostles who are the most powerful men? Because Jesus' teachings weren't geared to people becoming gods. Jesus' teachings were simply trying to save sinners from hell. This leads to a big difference in attitude in the end between the two religious groups. Where temporal status plays a major role in the icons of Mormonism today, the Lord speaks to the people of Laodicea in Revelation and he warns them. He says, Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? End quote. James explicitly warns in chapter 2 in his epistle against respecting persons or people. My brethren, have not faith of the Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you then not partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and, there, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The prophet Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. When achieving godhood is the goal, power, progressiveness, business acumen, and the acquisition of wealth become the standards by which men are praised and admired. There is something terribly wrong with the system. It's in complete opposition to the picture we get beginning actually in Genesis and going all the way through, but really in the New Covenant, beginning with Matthew and going through to Revelation. I mean, it is in opposition to that picture. And they place those people in their positions as worthy shepherds. Let's open up the phone lines. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Please turn your televisions down or off when you come on the air. If you're LDS, we want to hear from you first and foremost. If you're a first-time caller, please call. If you're second, please, please wait or don't. And uh, have your question or statement or accusation or praise ready to go. All right, we're going to Mary in Ogden on line one. Mary, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you, Sean? I'm doing well, Mary. How are you? I'm good. Um, I'm a Messianic Jew, which means I was born of Jewish blood, but I believe in Jesus Christ as my Messiah. And I have a statement to John. John, if you're such a God, how come you didn't get on first tonight again? <laughs> I like to know where the women are at in this. All I have to say is, as far as I know, there was only one Moses, and I believe in the Bible. 
I believe in the Torah. To know the end, you need to know the beginning. And, John, you don't even know any of the Bible. I am constantly discriminated against by you people. I'm not even allowed to have my own church in a building that I live in because you control the, control the building. Mm. I feel so sorry for you. You discriminate against the women. You beat them down. I want to say something to you that Moses would say to you. Let my people go. Ooh. And that's all I have to say, John. Too bad you didn't get a B first. <laughs> Great call, Mary. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Actually, John is, is third tonight. Uh, and he is called. He has called. We're going to uh, Sarah and Orem. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Sarah. Hey, I just want to just give you a quick contradictory doctrine okay. that I see. The Mormons contend that sin had to be introduced with Adam and Eve in order for them to um, copulate, have sex, whatever you want to say. And yet, they say, and say to other people, that God has wives and has sex in heaven. Oops. Think about that one. Love you. You do a great job. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. I got to think about that one. I, I'm not sure I understood it completely, but I will, Sarah, in time. Let's go to Jim in Salt Lake City. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Uh, just wanted to compliment your show and tell you I've really enjoyed it for the last uh, few months that I've been watching. And, and it's been about two years now since I unraveled the secret combinations, me and my family. And I wanted to make a quick analogy. We've just been through Easter as I began to learn. I realize, you know, with uh, Christmas, it's based on uh, the birth of Christ, but then Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all that, and then the Easter Bunny around the resurrection of Christ. I re use that as an analogy of uh, the church, how they build all this fluff to make you feel good, to make you think you're doing what you need to be doing, and it kind of takes the whole focus off the real meaning of Christ, just yeah. like we do at Christmas when we're shopping and all wrapped up in the all that good stuff. So but I just wanted to thank you for your show. You're doing a great job. Thanks, Jim. That's a, those are good analogies. Thank you very much. Yeah, so if anybody out there, you know, they just need to take the time and realize, you know, the secret combinations are actually the churches working on everybody <laughs> with the, the propaganda. And it, you know, I've been on a mission and everything like that, and it's kind of a, a big disappointment when you realize, wow, you've been being fooled all these years. And and the uh, evidence is overwhelming, but we just never take the time to, to really investigate it. And people like you really help a lot. So thank you, and God bless you. God bless you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. We're going to John in Illinois, who's on the infamous Line 4. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, John calling. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, this uh, whole issue that you're bringing up of Mormons being arrogant, I think it's just a red herring on your part and you're detracting from what the, what the real issue is. There's is two reasons people leave the church, Sean. One of them is because they were offended, or second, because they can't live the standards of the church. They've sinned. Those are the only two reasons that people leave the church. And this whole thing about Mormons being arrogant, I think that's just a red herring on your part. Well, the reason I talk about the arrogance now is because, uh, well, actually, I wrote about it in the book a long time ago, when you take all those teachings that come before you even, right after the Garden of Eden, when you take the LDS view of those teachings and the Christian view, the, the end result is arrogance. 
when you uh, apply those to a person because it's not arrogance it's it's righteous humility is how i see it it's not arrogance okay all right that's your your view but wait a second i want to address this thing you keep bringing up the only two reasons the only two that people would ever leave mormonism is because they have been offended which means they are the weak one by somebody else in the church or because they are so full of sin, they can't leave the standards. Those that's, are the. This is your statement, experience. John. John, that's is this right? My experience, Sean. I've been I've been in a bishopric. I've seen this. I've participated in many uh, disciplinary councils. I've seen many people leave the church, and those two reasons are the primary reasons people leave. Okay, well, you can give primary, and I would probably agree with you there. Yeah, primary. But when you say only, I mean I know people who are not sinful. I know people who have not been offended who left the church. For instance, you may not believe this, but one of the, the, the biggest and longest historians of church uh, information in Utah, Sandra Tanner, was not offended by somebody, and she was not a sinful person. How do you, Sean, how do you know what her personal life was? Well, how was? do you know what it was, John? She could have had all kinds of skeletons. And she could not have two. no idea. She could not have two, John. Why do you get to say she's sinful because she left your religion instead of leaving because of the information she discovered? Do you know how many people are bailing out of this church because of the Internet? The church you, is one of the fastest growing religions in the United States. Let me tell you something. That is a piece of propaganda that you've bought into and you're pushing it and believe it. But I want to tell you something. The thing is hemorrhaging at the seams and the LDS church doesn't know what to do about it. You I don't think know where it's you're the numbers from I'll tell you the numbers I, the top numbers I'm getting are some from some very reliable sources. You are mistaken. You are mistaken in that. No, they I'm will not. they push it out that we're the fastest growing because it makes everybody think, "Wow, they're really growing." But I want you to know they're hemorrhaging and let me give you one evidence of it. Mitt Romney. The guy did not I mean, clean-cut good man has the pedigree, has the money. He couldn't hold water in this country. That's because of bigots like you, Sean. Bigots That's like me. Win. You're bigoted too, John. Bigotry is just thinking that your race, your religion is better than others. You're as much of a religious bigot as I am. Sean. Okay. I, so I, let's get back to your let's wait, let's get back to your point about why people leave the church. Your wife and maybe you are starting to have your eyes opened. And I don't think you're sinning egregiously, and I don't think anyone's offended you, John, but if you keep searching and keep looking, you're going to prove your own premise false Sean, because you're going to discover what it's about. just fine, and I'm not doubting the church, and I make sure my wife's not around now when can, can we talk? or watching your show. Can, John, can we talk about salvation for a second? How come when I asked you how you're saved, you gave me a laundry list that didn't include the Jesus Christ? We have that recorded. It's on the air. Why did you go through a long list of being worthy, temple, ordinance, Melchizedek, all these things, things, and Jesus wasn't in that list? Isn't that a little bit disturbing to you? That's just understood, Sean, that he's part of that. Tacit. I've always thought Jesus is a footnote to the religion, and he is. He's a little janitor that comes out and cleans up sin if you have committed them. 
But if not, he just stays over there in that janitorial closet. He's not worshipped, you know, according to McConkie. The Father is, but not Jesus. And this whole terrible thing they have done to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, my brother, you're going to stand before him. You said someday I'm going to look from outer darkness at the shining face of Joseph Smith. I want to tell you right now, you are going to stand face to face with the Savior. And he is going to ask you, why did you not come to know me personally? And instead you believed in a religion and a man who pushed that religion upon you. Sean, the Book of Mormon says that Moroni is going to be there at the judgment seat of Christ at the last day. How did Moroni get to the judgment seat of Christ? Isn't this offensive to you? Doesn't this offend you, John? I mean, how could you even say that? Moroni! That's what the scriptures say, Sean, and I believe the Book of Mormon to be true, and I believe what it says. John, did you watch our five-part show on the Book of Mormon? No, I haven't. Please watch it. Just do, just, just watch it, please. And call back next week and tell John, us, tell us how it is all thing? wrong. Can I, say, can I say one more thing? You can. I, I extend a personal invitation to you to come back to church. Come back to the church. Feast at the table of fellowship again. It's not too late. It's not too late for you, Sean. Come back. I feast at the fellowship of the Lord with believers, whether they're LDS. If, if I find an LDS person who is a regenerated, born-again Christian, I would fellowship with them just as readily as a Catholic or a Baptist or a Pentecost or whatever, John. You got me wrong. You got it wrong. You haven't really read how we're different from many of the counter-cult ministries. We, I believe... I know, having been LDS and having experienced Jesus and regeneration, that there are people in the church who are working their way out. But I fellowship with anyone who has Jesus as their sovereign Lord and King and God in their life. But my friend, you do not. And that is what concerns me when we talk. How do you know? Who gives you the right to define that for me, though, Sean? Okay, can I explain? Go ahead. All right. Well, there is, there is a uh, language that comes with certain things. For instance, and I don't want to belabor this, but if you are a pro tennis player, there's a language that when you're talking with other pro tennis players, you guys all understand what it's about. I step Wait, wait, just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait, John, let me finish my point and then you can scream at me. Okay? These pro tennis players, I don't get their language. But I experienced something that made me a better man called Jesus. And I hear Jews, Messianic Jews, speak in that language. And I hear Catholics speak in that language. And I hear Baptists and all these different people. I've even heard Muslims who've experienced Jesus. And they speak in these same metaphorical terms that are understood by all believers. Mormons do not speak the language because it's not in their heart. That's why you didn't even mention Jesus. If you ask a Christian, tell me about salvation, it's going to be... 55 minutes of Jesus and 30 seconds of something else. But you gave me 55 minutes of everything else and no Jesus at all. But Sean, why do you, why do evangelicals get to define the term? I just broke that, that, that down, John. I said it's not restricted to evangelicals. I said it, it was to Jews. It is to Muslims. You got it wrong, my friend. That is how I can say as a Christian who reads and studies the word that you don't speak the language. Just like a pro tennis player knows a novice when they step out on the court. I hope that helps you, my friend. 
That's how every Christian, when they sit down and listen to a Mormon or turn on their general conference or visit their chapel and listen to the message, they walk away and go, what is wrong with these people? They go, what is going on here? Sean, it's not too late for you. Again, <laughs> I say to you, come back. Come back. It's All not right. too late. And I, and I welcome you to come to the throne of God and confess yourself a sinner, John, which you are, and be broken and understand that there is no other way to his presence besides Jesus Christ. And call next week after you watch those shows. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Man, someone say a prayer for this guy. He is coming around. I, I, I just pray he is. All right, we're going to Kim in Spanish for first-time caller. Kim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I am most definitely a born-again Mormon. I was in the church for quite a while, and uh, as I started studying scriptures, I came out of the church uh, because the church and the gospel are two different things. But I'd like to quote something here to all your Mormon listeners. Um, in their own scriptures, Doctrine and Covenants 84, verses uh, 55 and 56, it, uh, it says that the church, which vanity and unbelief, so vanity is pride, uh, has brought the whole church under condemnation upon the children of thine, even all. So their own scriptures tell them that, they, that God has put their church under condemnation, he's withdrawn his covenant, so how can they be the true church? Wow. And because of their pride. And then in 1986, President Benson gave a landmark talk in conference, a general conference in the October, and he said that the church was still under condemnation, it's not been lifted, and that it is on every single member of the church. So, and then also for John, who called in calling you names, I just wish Mormons would Please stop making it personal. If you, I mean, show some intelligence and have a scripture, have a doctrinal point. But when you make it personal, you just make yourself look like an idiot. And also, I'd like to just say that um, if you read the New Testament, the only people that the Savior ever publicly condemned were the hypocrites. Right. So, anyway, I just love your show, and thanks for the good work. Kim, great message. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See, now, I tried to do some things to stop the ad hominem attacks on me. I lost some weight because they were calling me Fat Pig for a while. <laughs> then they called me Musty Clam, so I shaved the beard. They made fun of the hair. I got it mashed down like a 1950s greaser. <laughs> Nothing seems to work. All right, we're going to Camille, first-time caller in Roy. Camille, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Um, I, I wanted to tell you I appreciate your show. I it's kind of helped me. I've over the last two years, my family and I have had a lot of heartache, and my faith has waned completely. Oh. Um, so I'm not sure where it is. I was LDS for quite a long time, and my family is, and most everybody I know is. So, Are they? but I wanted to make the point that this John fellow who keeps calling, he was actually on a few weeks ago when I first watched, oh. and I couldn't believe it because he, nobody is above the Lord and Savior, and I don't see where he gets off trying to condemn you or anybody for that matter, and I think that just proves that he is arrogant. Right. If he thinks that he can. Right. He thinks that he can condemn you, that must prove that he is arrogant. And I don't know, I've gone to different wards and, and different chapels, and it's there are some that are arrogant and some that are very friendly, but I I just don't think anybody is above the Lord. No, no I, and I And it's hard for me to say it as well, because I lost my daughter two years ago, and I've had a hard time trying to figure out where to go with that. Oh, I'm so sorry, Camille. 
Listen, can I, can I make one recommendation to you? Yes. There is a man named Ross Anderson and Roy. And does anybody know Ross Anderson's church in the audience? What is it? Uh, it's, I think it's E.V. Free and Roy. Okay. Roy Utah. And uh, Ross Anderson, do me a favor. Go and introduce yourself to Ross and just uh, experience his church one time. Okay. And it's going to be different to you. They will do some things that you'll say, well, you know, I did that. I came out, I was like, wow, what are they doing? What's this cred? And, so, and I don't know if they do that at Ross's church, but just give it a chance and hear what Ross has to say because he used to be LDS. He is a really down-to-earth Christian man, and I think he would help you out in some things that you're searching for, Camille. I appreciate it. I, it's, I mean, your show has really helped us because I'm trying to find where I need to go. And um, I, since I was a member of the church, my church records found me here. And I'm, you know, I got a call from the bishopric a few weeks ago, and they're like, oh, would you like to come back? And I'm like, oh, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> and I haven't, and I just, there's just things that have never made sense to me. Both my sister and I were the same way, and my sister hasn't gone back to church since she, wasn't, since she didn't have to. Wow. So. Hey, one more favor. I know I'm, I'm asking a lot of you tonight, but one more thing. Okay. Go to the Lord, just you and him. You don't need a pastor. You don't need me. You don't need anybody. Just go to the Lord and say, God, I just want to know truth. Please open my eyes and ears to know truth. Please. I'll try. I know he's, I've been asking a lot of him because I've been trying to help with my children and everything else. So He doesn't mind. <laughs> I'll try. All right. Thank you so much, Camille. Let us know how you're doing. I will. Thank you. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Edward in Salt Lake City. Edward, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are we doing? Uh, doing all right, Edward. How are you doing? I'm fine here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you sound relaxed. <laughs> First time calling here. You're doing fine. What's happening? Well, I, I was listening to you, you speaking with John, and um, what he was saying just 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 untrue about the only reason they leave the church because I'm a Mormon and I relocated here from Texas, <laughs> and since I got here. I haven't, my spirit haven't been with me hmm. for sending me to the church. And uh, I've been here going on two years, and um, I've been very, very uncomfortable hmm. in the church. Huh. And uh, the spirit brought me here just to see all the good stuff that was going on in Texas, where the spirit brought me here to see, you know, just what was this. And when I got here... I wasn't welcome, huh. like I'm back in, in Texas in, in, in LDS church. And uh, since my spirit is leading me away from there, and last uh, Easter Sunday I visited another church, and I was very much welcome and comfortable and at home. And uh, I follow the spirit. You know, I, I don't follow nothing but the Holy Spirit that, that's invested in me, that leads me. And it hasn't been leading me to the LDS church since, I, since I've been here. And so what he's saying about the only reason, uh, you know, there it is, leave the church, that's just uh, untrue. Right. Hey, that's a, a great call, Edward. And I know there are many very good Bible-teaching churches in Salt Lake City that would love to have you. You have a very kind voice. You make me really relaxed when I'm talking to you. Yeah. So you just go out and you keep finding a man, and you're going to find uh, that Holy Spirit really rejuvenated in your life as you do. I believe that. All right, my brother. 
Thank you, Nash. Take care. Bye-bye. We are going to Brett from West Jordan, first-time caller. Brett, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Hey, good. Hey, Sean, I just had a quick uh, challenge for uh, some of the Mormons out there. Uh, one of the things that I found when I was first looking into it was that they have uh, inverted pentagrams on their uh, the new temple or the temple here in Salt Lake City. They don't have it on any of the new ones, but the the Salt Lake City Temple has it. Yeah. And from what I understand, the uh, Nauvoo one also had it. Yeah. So uh, an inverted pentagram is a five-pointed star pointing down, and it's on the Satanic Bible. And yeah. uh, they have it on all the windows above the windows on that temple. And I've actually went down and took pictures of it. So yeah. is what I have a question is, is uh, if that was supposedly from God, uh, that they had to put it on those temples... Why isn't he putting it on all the other temples now, and why is it on the Satanic Bible? Well, if, if I was going to play devil's advocate and use some history, uh, Brett, what they would say is the inverted pentagram was used and popularized by masonry uh, in France uh, circa 18th century, and that is what Joseph borrowed from masonry and put on the Nauvoo Temple, and then it translated over when Brigham brought it to Salt Lake City. They didn't view it as the uh, as a star that the, the Satanists used. And it was Anton LaVey who then took the inverted pentagram and he popularized it, putting it on the exterior of the Satanic Bible. And that it, it hasn't always been the, the Satanic worshippers' uh, symbol, that it was in fact the, the Masons prior to that, and that's how they would justify it. And the way they would say that we don't put it on our temples now is that today it's more known as a Satanic symbol and they don't want people to know that. That would be what their response would probably be to your comment oh okay yeah hey but great call thanks so much brett all right thank you god bless bye-bye we're going to greg in taylorsville first time caller greg you're on heart of the matter yes pastor sean how are you doing well greg how are you good i wanted to tell you about uh my experience at the mormon church on sunday for easter sunday okay and then i also have a question for you so uh, here's how it went. Um, I've been Mormon my whole life, but I wanted to go to church just because, you know, the Mormon church always feels familiar for me for Easter. And I haven't been for a year or so. And so I decided to wear a, a bright yellow shirt <laughs> just so that, you know, Easter, I wanted to feel like, um, <laughs> like uh, you know, because I was happy about the day and everything. <laughs> so I went over to church, and the first talk was about the songs and the music of the church. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. I want an Easter message. You know, that's why I come to church today, is for an Easter message about my Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, didn't get it. The second talk, though, was very interesting. She said that the atonement is only mentioned once in the entire Bible. And she said the reason is, is because the Bible is not translated correctly and that there's many incorrect things in the Bible. Lovely. And she said that... Um, in the Book of Mormon, the Atonement is mentioned many, many times. And I just could not believe that. Yeah. I know that the word ransom for sin and other things are mentioned about what Jesus did for us, but you know, I just could not believe that she would mention it that way, that the Bible cannot be relied upon because it only mentions atonement once. It's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, my other question was about um, you know, my activity level, like going to priesthood meeting coming up for conference. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if, 
you know, it's appropriate for me to go because I'm always finding things that really bother me about the church every time I go. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering what advice you have if I should go with my dad to priesthood meeting or to any meetings in the future. Well, my advice to you is uh, this is my first and foremost advice to any Latter-day Saint who's seeking or is kind of weak or wondering or wears yellow shirts to sacrament meeting. This is it. Greg, go to the Lord and just just pour your heart out, whether it takes you 10 seconds or 10 hours, pour your heart out and say, God, if you're there, I need you to open my eyes and ears and heart and teach me truth and guide me where I am to go. Make that a prayer of yours for the next while and just trust him. And he's going to continue to open your eyes. And if you're inclined to go to the LDS church again, he'll let you there. But he will open your eyes and ears and you will start to hear and discern things like you did last Sunday. And then he will lead you and just keep going. And if you have uh, more specific questions about what you do next, email us. But just take it to God and trust him. And I promise you he will be good on his word. Okay, thank you so much. I have your book, and I greatly appreciate reading it. I, I really liked your book. and thank Thanks so much, Greg. Okay. Bye. God bless you. Bye-bye. Two years ago, I brought in a LDS church program, a Chris, uh, East, I mean, a Christmas Day, landed on a Sunday program, and it had Joseph Smith on the front. I'm not kidding you. It was classic. Uh, you know, don't say I'm picking on you. It's the truth. What do you want? Okay, let's go to uh, Neva in Tooele. Neva, you're on Heart of the Matter. Neva? Neva. Neva. Neva, but I wanted to say um, that Satan tried to make himself equal to God, Ah. or actually above God's throne. In Isaiah, the uh, 14th chapter and verse 12, and also uh, in Ezekiel. Okay. He, he talks about um, uh, the devil and what his sins was. He was actually an angel created by God, and he wanted, he was the archangel, and he wanted to be up with God, and he was a, a very beautiful a creature. And I can understand how Eve might have fallen for him because, uh, and his talk because he was very good-looking. Had to be, or he wouldn't have had a second look at him at all uh, when he started talking to her about the taking of the fruit in the Garden of Eden. Good points, Neva. Thanks so much. (laughs) Okay. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, that, you just, I think that's really important because she brought up a, gir- a good passage, chapter 14, Isaiah. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? And it says in verse 13, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Neva points out that the sin of Satan was his pride, his arrogance, and his desire to be God. I'm telling you, my friends, this is the bottom line. This is what the stake president said to me, to my ear, to the pen. 
and he that's what they teach you know that's what they teach and that is not part of biblical christianity you want to have peace in your life you want to die with peace and know the lord then go to the bible go to your knees and ask god to lead you just to show you truth tell him god i don't trust that sean mccraney guy tell him i don't trust these pastors i don't tell him i don't trust my bishop but you say i trust you please teach me truth you've got nothing to lose I have nothing to gain from this. You don't ever have to email and tell me. You just go in your room, you drive in your car, you go to nature and you pray, God, please, in the name of Jesus Christ, who you believe in, please open my eyes and ears and heart and lead me to know your truth. That's what we plead for you to do every week on here, if possible. We're going to Quentin and Layton on line three. Quentin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yes. Uh, is this Sean? This is. Hi, uh I'm uh, calling on a uh, uh, conversation I had with a very uh, staunch uh, LDS person, uh, co-worker, uh-huh. and he was, uh, he was telling me, we was in the conversation as to uh, the uh, uh, trueness of the LDS church and such, and I says, well, how do you know that it is so true, whatever? And he said, well, because John the Baptist baptized... Uh, Joseph Smith. Right. And I says, well, how is that that he was able to baptize him when he came uh, so fr uh, so early in, in uh, history or whatever of baptizing Jesus? So, you know, he says, well, that, uh, I says, well, what other evidence do you have or proof that uh, John the Baptist uh, baptized uh, Brigham Young, or I mean, Joseph Smith? And he says, uh, well, I guess because the plaque that is located in the uh, river where uh, the, uh, the Susquehanna River, yeah, where the ceremony was taken in that. Yeah, yeah, and if you read uh, Grant Palmer's book, which is excellent, he's LDS. He was a church educational uh, teacher, and he wrote a book called An Insider's View of Mormon Origins. You can get it at, at uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, and it gives great insight into that whole thing and how Joseph Smith, he went back and he rewrote all the John the Baptist, all the Melchizedek priesthood, all that stuff. They revived it and redid it so that it would fit, and it was just a farce, and unfortunately, uh, people still believe in the story. Hey, great call, Quentin. I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. Listen, uh, Brian sent me something. We have uh, one minute left. I can't take any more calls. I'm sorry, Marino, Alicia, and Jose. Please call next week. But Brian sent us a thing that said, Sean, I thought you might find these verses from Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible interesting. Luke chapter 10, verse 23. Look it up yourself. It says, All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth that the Son is the Father, and that the Father is the Son, but to him to whom the Son will reveal it. And that uh, completely contradicts LDS teachings today. It teaches monarchism or monotheism, and uh, not monotheism, forget it. It teaches something like that. But uh, it is completely in error, and they don't use the Joseph Smith translation because of stuff like that. Listen, it's great to have you. Next week, we're going to start in on Old Testament scriptures, the LDSUs, and we're going to give you a contextual, exegetical uh, hermeneutic on those verses. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
break my I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty 